This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get to today's Browns Film Breakdown podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, here's a quick word from the fellows over at That's Good Sports. Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Alright guys, we are bringing in our Ravens expert, uh, Ken McCusick. Ken writes for um, his own, he does his own great work actually, which is kind of rare. Most of the time it seems like people jump in with sometimes larger legions and, and, and jump on you know, different sorts of blogs, different sorts of websites. But Ken does his own work at FilmStudyRavens.com, does fantastic offensive, defensive line stuff. And uh, I'm going to be on his podcast previewing the Browns later. And I uh, wanted Ken to kind of focus on the Ravens side and answering some questions about who they are. So I'm excited to have Ken. So how you doing, buddy? Well, that's good, Jake. Thanks for uh, having me, and thanks for coming on later tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll get a good preview for both listening uh, fan bases. So uh, you, we'll, we'll start general, Ken. I mean, just sort of, uh, you know, your sort of state of the Ravens as far as three games in. Are they Are they meeting what you expected them to do? Or are they, uh, or is there more to, uh, you know, more to come? Well, I think there's there's more to like than I I think we knew at the beginning of the year. I think Jackson has exceeded expectations. He he came back down to earth at Kansas City a little bit in terms of his passing statistics. The the Chiefs obviously a good team and also a very tough environment to play in with a lot of noise. Uh, Jackson had more pressure than he had before, and he had some trouble with some sailing throws. But otherwise, he's played very well. Uh, much above expectations. He's a completely different quarterback from last year. Uh, so, so that's been very good. Uh, in terms of other elements, the Ravens' secondary was supposed to be a very strong starting point for this year, and they've had some very serious injuries, which have turned that into sort of a weakness. So they've lost Tavon Young, the slot corner, and Jimmy Smith. It was in the last year of his contract for at least half the season. 
And, uh, you know, those are those are big losses that are hard to make up for. And even though the Ravens had depth at the position, that depth is being very severely taxed right now. And so far, they've they've been they've done OK, but they've also been very much in the Jalen Ramsey sweep, uh, sweepstakes. And before that, in the in the discussions over Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, so it seems the injury bug is caught up, like you said. Jimmy Smith, obviously a very good football player. Um, you know, Mark Andrews, some of these, some of these important. But if you if you follow the Browns, you know they're they're going through their own set of issues. And in Week 17, I thought was just a great indicator for what's to come. In uh, in terms of where these two franchises will be going, obviously the Ravens. You know, it just felt like a playoff game last year, Week 17. You know, maybe the Browns sure weren't did. playing for the playoffs necessarily, but they were trying to keep Baltimore out, and uh, it, it had that vibe, and it was really neat to, to sort of get a feel for that. So, year two of, of Greg Roman's offense, how are you? Uh, you know, you, like like I mentioned earlier, your focus is offensive line play. How is it all fitting together? How's Mark Ingram coming into this offense? And two, and this is kind of a this might take a long answer, and that's okay. How is Hollywood Brown sort of fitting into this whole structure uh, that they're obviously putting up good yardage and good, uh, you know, good output of points too? Let me start with the offensive line because that's a, you know, it's it's a line that has been pretty good, I think, as far as uh, relative to the rest of the league. They've done a good job keeping Jackson from getting hit so far this year, which is which is a key element. It, you know, Lamar Jackson takes enough hits running that we can't afford to have a lot of hits when he's when he's in the pocket. But uh, in any case, they've done a pretty good job of that. He has been pressured, and in the Kansas City game, he was pressured more uh, by Bull Rush getting in his face and, and causing some throws to be off target. Um, but I think that the line has generally been good, and Roman has built that offensive line to be a good power run team. So they, they're, they're set up very well to be a right-handed line and do most of their power running to the right. And let me just go across player by player and see what we've got here. So Ronnie Stanley's a left tackle. is one of the best in the league. Uh, you know, is up there, a very young player now in his fourth year, uh, will come up and, and be due a big contract, I would assume, after this year, probably not wanting to risk free agency after that. Uh, and he's done it all in terms of being a good pass blocker this year. Since two holding penalties in the opening game, he's been essentially very close to perfect since. He's been been outstanding. Terrific mobility, ability to get into level two and affect the run play even from the backside is what I've been very excited about from him. At left guard, they have uh, Bradley Bozeman won a five-way competition in camp. Now, a lot of times you hear about a position being a two-way competition, you know, these two players. I've never seen anything like this in camp where there was five players who really had a shot at being the Ravens' starting left guard. And they didn't announce it until the last moment, literally a couple hours before game time uh, for the opener. But Bozeman, who played a little bit of left guard last year, is there. He has He had a problem with... Uh, Chris Jones, this last week of Kansas City, is one of the best interior rushers in the game. But uh, he's been okay, and he's been terrific at pulls specifically, where he's hit on 26 of 31 pulls through three games. 31 pulls, by the way, you probably know this, Jake, just an outrageous number for three games to have. But, yeah, it really uh, is. But the Ravens, Ravens run a lot of power to the right. Uh, Matt Skur is in his third year at center. Uh, he, he's an ERFA this year, so he's an undrafted free agent originally and uh, you know, didn't have a rookie contract. But he's he's been a real value relative to cap last year. He's moved up, and in my estimation, he's about a C-plus this year. He was about a C-minus last year. In terms of being a little below the league average, now he's a little above the league average, I would say, at center. If he takes another step forward in year four and can finish out this year the way he's going, he's going to be a very sought-after commodity. Uh, smart guy and uh, uh, very good at uh, at keeping the line together. He has a little problem with shotgun snaps, which has caused some problems in recent games and, and caused a sack in this last game at Kansas City. 
So uh, uh, that's that's the center situation. Uh, Yanda, uh, you know, possible future Hall of Famer. I think a lot of it depends on how long he wants to play. But this is his 13th season, and uh, you know he's he's been an A in each game as I have scored it. Rarely misses a block. The Ravens depend on him not as much to pull anymore. He used to pull a lot. Now he really opens the front gate, and he's the pivot on those power runs. So he has the responsibility of turning his body against that defensive tackle as the hole is opening up, and he's very been very good at that and uh, good with his responsibilities, doesn't give up a lot of pass-blocking mistakes. Orlando Brown, the right tackle, a uh, second-year player who got played half a season last year, has been a little bit frustrating, frankly, in terms of his ability to be consistent this year. Last year he was very consistent, didn't, didn't really have any bad games until one in the playoffs. This year he's allowed a sack in each of the last two games, uh, and a, each a solo kind of sack, which is pretty fairly rare. And those are, uh, uh, you know, weighing heavily. He's also allowed some pressure against Kansas City and, and Frank Clark. So uh, I've, I'm, I'm basically happy with the state of the offensive line. I can always, because I look at it so closely, I can always find the minute things that are wrong. But, but by and large, it's, a, it's quite a good offensive line. Yeah, I think they've traditionally been that way. I mean, um, you know, schemes change. Obviously, the massive changes from Joe to Lamar and what that came with it on the fly. I think it speaks volumes to me. You know, for somebody who doesn't watch Baltimore as much as, you know, obviously yourself or some others who study the whole league, it's it was just amazing to me how well they were able to on the fly transition to, you know, as much as much pistol, zone read stuff that they were doing last year. And I think that speaks volumes. And like you said, it is a very good offensive line still obviously putting out, um, you know, the, the, the least amount of rush yards they've had here is 182 against the Cardinals. I mean, that's that mm-hmm. speaks for itself, and they're throwing the ball well enough, too. I mean, they're throwing the ball toward the top of the league. So the Browns will have their hands full. Is Mark Ingram fitting in? I'll sort of break up that ridiculously long question there. Is Mark Ingram fitting, <laughs> Mark Ingram fitting in as well as you guys hoped he would? He seems like the ideal fit for that sort of uh, downhill attack. Yeah, he, he's he's been very good, and I didn't expect that you know, going out and getting a running back and paying five million a year would be something I'd be happy about, because I don't really believe I, I believe you have to economize at certain positions. Running back is one I like to economize at. And uh, Ingram, you know, you, whenever you buy into the second contract of a player, or in Ingram's case, it might be the third. You really tend to be buying into the downhill years. So I wouldn't want to sign them ever long term. But Ingram has really fulfilled anything Ravens fans could have reasonably expected for him. He's been a receiver, good blocker, and he's been an uh, outstanding runner. He's, he's running through contact very effectively this year. I saw that he was among the leaders in broken tackles per uh, carry, at like 0.3 broken tackles per carry is a number I've seen. But going back to the, to the, the general running game, um, Roman is, is one of the big reasons the offensive offense has been so successful. Both sides of the ball are extremely well coached. And I know you can probably appreciate that from, from you know, have the Browns having good assistance at times. You know, how much different it is to have good assistance that you really trust on both sides of the ball, as opposed to the Ravens have had a, a, a series of quite ineffective offensive coordinators. And, you know, some of it is personnel, but also some of it is just the coordinators don't know how to deal with their own personnel. And, and Roman has really been the guy for that on offense. Yeah, I've been impressed. I think the league has been impressed, obviously, and um, you know, like I said, justifiably so, how well they've been able to mesh, obviously, Roman's principles there and, and get everybody in sync. Because that's option offenses, man, and, and not that they're running a ton of option. I'm going to talk to you about that, but 
the, the, you have to have everybody in sync. You have to coach them the right way. It's about the right step. It's about the right angle. It's about so many minuscule things, and I think people can misunderstand that sometimes, and you make a great point there of how, how cohesive the coaching staff has to be and understanding and on the same page and all of that. I, I think what find I find fascinating is Lamar Jackson only has 27 carries, and, and I'm, I'm sure not mm-hmm. all of those are designed runs. There was talk about Lamar saying he wasn't going to run the ball as much this season, and that has come to fruition. Has has that organically happened in a way you think is best for the Ravens, or do you think they need to run him a little bit more because he is so dynamic in the open field and can make people miss? So sort of where is that balance for you? Do you like it? Do you not like it right now? Yeah, it, it's a very fine line, and you're making the point, Jake. I want the threat of Lamar Jackson running to be real, to freeze the outside defenders, to open up the – inside run game, which has been tremendously powerful for the Ravens. I mean, they have they have two guys who crashed the inside of that line from tight end and Nick Boyle and Patrick Ricard, who are just outstanding. And Roman has changed Ricard's role from being really that of a fullback to being one of a motioning tight end. And it's like you have a pulling guard starting on every play before you all assign additional pulling players. So anyway, I just I want to point that out. But but in terms of Lamar, yeah, you you want to make sure that he is running enough that the inside of that line and those those edge players are held up and and frozen in their tracks a little bit, trying to to contain that. Um, and then that gives you a lot, obviously a lot of blocking opportunities on the inside to to clear space. Yeah, I think they're finding that perfect balance. And like you said, you know, that was something I noticed week seventeen. What really popped to me was. They're moving laterally every play. They're pulling somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're pulling a guard. They're pulling a tight end. They're pulling a U-back, whatever you want to phrase that in an offense. And that's just so tough because on linebackers, the eye manipulation, all of those things constantly happening. And Lamar has this way of, of running that stuff where he's upright, but the ball's sort of hidden at his stomach. And it's just it's very difficult to see what's going on back there. And all of a sudden, boom, he explodes out of a fake, and he's out in the races. And he really hurt the Browns Week 17 last year with his legs, obviously. And uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how Steve Wilkes' defense approaches you know, the, the, the fits and gap responsibilities because Greg Williams' defense couldn't handle it last year, and it was pretty obvious from the, from the jump. Uh, wide receivers-wise, you know, it looks like they're obviously focusing on getting the ball to two people. Uh, there's nobody above 100 mm-hmm. yards other than two people who are above 250 yards. Well, Mark Andrews is hovering at 235. But, yeah, it's Mark Andrews at tight end, uh, Baker's old boy, Oklahoma product, and then obviously and his other old boy, which is just funny how many old Oklahoma players are on this team, <laughs> his right tackle, his wide receiver, and his, his tight end. And, uh, yeah, it's Marquise Brown who's just a dynamic threat. So uh, is, is it sort of they're pushing – as much as they can to those two guys because Lamar likes them? Or is it, you know, do you feel like it's sort of finding itself organically in the offense? Yeah, some of it I think is scheme and some of it is trust, perhaps. But he's definitely, Lamar has a great connection with Mark Andrews. The first two games he was 16 of 17 receptions on targets. And both of them, Brown caught a bunch of of long balls with yards after the catch, including two touchdowns against Miami. And those guys had each were each averaging 12.94, and not exactly the same, by the way, 12.94 differing by thousands, uh, yards per target, which is stratospheric. Um, and the, high, the record for the Ravens, only three guys have ever been over 10, but is Mark Andrews in 2018 with 11.04. So it, it, it couldn't continue, and it didn't this last week. They had 16 targets for 64 yards between them, so only four yards a target. Certainly a big off week at Kansas City, but but yes, I think 
those guys are getting targets because Brown is certainly getting separation deep because Andrews is finding space in the middle of the field, and there's a high trust factor with both of them uh, and Jackson. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty fascinating to uh, to follow Andrews because tight ends continue to hurt the Browns, hurt them week one, and, um, you know, it's just something to track. They just have never really played them well. Now, Wilkes' defense is small sample size, but I think if Andrews is healthy, he could be obviously a, a pretty big factor, especially for Lamar, who finds a lot of comfort in him. So um, uh, We're going to get into this tonight, I'm sure, but tell me this, because the Ravens have the same problem at inside linebacker. Do, do the Browns play nickel on passing downs, or do they put in a dime defender, a, a safety, who is playing as a linebacker in the they're box? They're a 4-2-5 committed team, so they're playing with an extra safety or corner all the time. They only play two linebackers. Uh, they only play Joe Schobert, who's who's a really effective Mike linebacker, and then they play Christian Kirksey, but he obviously was lost to injured reserve about a week ago going into St. Louis, or sorry, St. Louis, geez, to uh, the Rams game there. And uh, Mac Wilson, the young Alabama kid who they took in the fifth round, who's, who's, who's I think an underrated football player. He played really well in the preseason and played well Sunday, is uh, the other linebacker that will predominantly be on the field. So they will play with an extra safety Somebody such as uh, you know Eric Murray, uh, Morgan Morgan Burnett w- will occasionally jump down and play low. But yeah, they play a four-two-five consistently. Okay, so okay, so five defensive backs on the field pretty much every play. Correct. That's that's the weakness for the Ravens is they they are uh, they do play dime and they play a lot of dime about the fifth or sixth most in the entire league. But they bring Levine down into the box to play as the dime backer, and that's really his only responsibility. When he's in the game, the Ravens present a very good pass defense that's tight all the way around because he can affect a play behind him. Okay, And that's the problem with all of the Ravens linebackers are downhill players. They don't impact plays behind them, and that's been a big problem this year. So I was interested in hearing the Browns being weak against the tight ends, and that's where the Ravens have been most most vulnerable in pass defense in the middle of the field. I was wondering if you had observed some of the same things in terms of the Browns linebackers not being much more than downhill players, but very having a lot of trouble understanding what's going behind them in terms of route concepts. Yeah, week one that was. I think if you can catch them in the right play action, the right run action, the right sort of slow developing run action, it's going to give any linebacker fits, but I think it does give the Browns fits, and it gave them fits with Delaney Walker against Tennessee, uh, who had a couple touchdown passes. If if the Ravens can really establish what they want to do running the football. Now, the Browns have taken that away from some people. They, they, they really did a decent job taking it away from Tennessee, but in the fourth quarter, game situation sort of manifested itself to making the Browns think that they were going to run the clock out, and they took a couple of nice little play action shots that, that, that caught Walker. But, you know, they held Le'Veon Bell in check, and they, they, they really did a nice job with the Rams' wide zone and keeping Todd Gurley in check. And once you take away those run threats that are consistent – the Browns do a nice job, and they did a pretty nice job keeping Jared Goff in check and sort of being able to manipulate Goff, what he was seeing, drop into some hook zones and gave him some trouble. So if the Ravens can't establish the run like they've been able to, then I think that the, the they, they might run into some issues. But, I, I, you know, like I, I think it all hinges there. Like I said, the Ravens have, have had no game with less than 185 yards rushing, so they've established it on everybody. Now... The DVOA metrics, which I'm a big believer in from Football Outsiders, will tell you that this Browns defense is the best defense they've faced by far. And I don't think that is incorrect in saying that. The Chiefs have some nice parts, but I don't think they have a nice group, and I don't love what they do schematically. So, you know, when you have Patrick Mahomes, you can make up for a lot of things there. 
But I think it gets interesting that if the Browns are able to win this game or they want to be in this game, slow down this high-powered you know, Ravens offense, they have to take away the run first and mitigate that impact that running the football for them has because if they're sucked into consistent play action on unpredictable down distances, it's going to give the Browns fits. So that is something I'm going to closely watch. I think you made a good point talking about what the Ravens do and where they're struggling. I mean, my eyes are drawn to the fact that defensively in the last two games they've given up 350 yards through the air to the mm-hmm. Cardinals. Now, Patrick Mahomes is sort of the human cheat code. I think anybody's going to give up and a good amount of yards to Patrick no matter what the way he's playing and seeing the field right now. So 503 or sorry 363 yards I, you know I take it with a grain of salt cuz he's that good a football player. But what's interesting is the Chiefs were able to run for a buck 40, which is fascinating to me right. um because the first two opponents they held to 21 and 20. Um I guess I'm sort of looking for where the Ravens are at in the box. I think they obviously have a pretty good secondary a little banged up, but a pretty good secondary. They've been that way for years, but they did lose. I'm just reminding our fan base, you know this, but they did lose C.J. Mosley. They did lose the Darius Smith. They did lose Terrell Suggs. Where do they sit sort of as a, a box defense and being able – I know they play the three, four different variations of it. Are they getting after the quarterback effectively with this new group? And, and, and sort of how are they defending the run game in your opinion? The first, I did a, an analytics presentation in the offseason about how often the Ravens play each of their defense, but the, the base defense is dying in the NFL. So three, four teams rarely actually play, present a three, four front uh, and, and play with four defensive backs because most offensive coordinators prefer to force the nickel on opponents by putting three wide receivers on the field. And even when you don't put three wide receivers on the field, if you've got good spread tight ends, they force you into either nickel or big nickel in the Ravens case where they put in a safety as kind of a, an intermediate option. And they, they did this against the Chiefs this last week uh, where they put a safety covering the slot receiver who's, you know, was Travis Kelsey in this case. So anyway, uh, base defense is really not a factor anymore. They've only played seven snaps of it the whole year. So most of the time they're playing two outside linebackers and two defensive linemen down. And the Ravens, one of their advantages is that other teams have had a very hard time moving their guys in the middle. So Pierce and Williams have been playing a lot together this year, and they're very effective even when just one of them is on the field. Uh, they're, they're quite effective at stopping the run. But they haven't had the same kind of success um, holding the edge this year. And that, that's a way, a way they really miss Terrell Suggs. He was, you know, he's the best edge defender against the run of his era. And he was a guy who the, you know, a much better run defender than he was a pass rusher and not a terrible pass rusher, certainly by any by any stretch. But the Ravens have have, you know, brought in a new guy, a third round pick. Jalen Ferguson got his first nine snaps. And in one of them, he, you know, tricked by the right tackle, gave up a 25 yard run, basically lost the edge immediately. Tim Williams on the other side, third year player, shows a lot of promise as a pass rusher. Hasn't brought a lot of that to fruition, but he'd been looking better against the run, and he gave up a big play this last week as well. So um, you have various ways in which this is happening, and um, it's it's really not in the middle of the line that the Ravens' weaknesses are. So I would expect the, Ra- the, the Browns, if they looked at the film from the Chiefs game, to try and run outside, off-tackle a little bit. To, to find openings there uh, more than more than in the middle. Now the Browns are one team that in week 17 last year and also in week five last year played some additional offensive linemen against the Ravens. 
So that'll be one case where the Ravens will go back to that that three four look. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, with with David Njoku out, I, I, they they played some multiple tight end sets, two tight end sets. Haven't seen them run any unbalanced fronts, uh, bringing in anybody extra. But you know, week to week, that stuff can change, and and maybe they do uh, throw some new wrinkles. I know that. Most of this fan base is pretty uh, frustrated with where things are offensively. I just spent an enormous amount of time writing on where it's sort of falling for them offensively. But I, I would expect with how big this game is for the Browns' early season hopes and some of the tough challenges coming, coming after them in Seattle, San Francisco, and, and traveling to New England, that they're going to they're gonna look at this game. I hate – I don't like the must-win crap. I'm not a believer in that. I just think that some games are heightened importance, and – when they lost to the Rams, this was something that they knew that they have to. They're preparing that there is no fall. You don't want to be one and three and travel to the West Coast uh, for a Monday Night Football game that they're that they're at. So I I think everything's in play. I think that there could be some some certain tendency breakers that we see. You get three weeks into a season, you really get some good self scouting about what you're doing, how teams are preparing for you, and uh, I think that some of that will be will be on the table for the Browns. As far as the secondary, I, I'm interested. You know, Baker had success against, you know, relatively speaking, he threw for, for oh, some, yeah. some pretty high yardages the last, you know, last year against against the Ravens, and you know the Ravens did pick him off three times week seventeen. They they did a nice job of trapping him a couple times. I thought they did a really nice job of hiding zone defenders and putting them in a hole and then sort of popping them up at him. And that's something he's still struggling with this year. But I'm interested. Are you at all concerned about the Ravens? ability to cover the pass or are you sort of just thinking these are byproducts of situations in games with the Cardinals were trying to come back uh you know and like I said the Chiefs game is just like how many you're not going to face an offense like that the rest of the year I wouldn't imagine but I'm uh, just sort of right. looking at what do you where you think that the, the secondary is three weeks into the season let me, let me answer a couple of points on there let me give you a concern rating from one to ten on each of those Games Obviously, the Miami, I don't have any concern about the outcome. In fact, if I had any concern, it would be that Miami scored as many as 10 points and Fitzpatrick was, you know, throwing deep and, and completed some balls. I wasn't happy about, you know, about not getting a shutout maybe in that game, but I'm not happy. I mean, they won 59 to 10. There's nothing to be unhappy about in terms of their passing game. In, ter- in, in the terms of the Arizona game, I'd, I'd, it'd be about a three in terms of my concern. It was situational football. There were breakdowns in zone coverage that were very bad in that game. Uh, I do think that's stuff you can correct, but there was an underlying problem that emerged is that these inside linebackers are just useless in terms of covering covering the pass behind them. So they're, they're very weak in the middle of the field between levels two and three. And you know, they play a single high a lot with Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas has a tremendous footprint he puts on the field where opposing quarterbacks are highly cognizant about not throwing. But if he wants to play 25 yards off the field and the linebackers really aren't providing much behind them in terms of coverage, then that's a big hole still left on the middle of that field that becomes more enticing if you're an opposing quarterback. If Thomas has to come up and patrol it, that produces more nine opportunities for outside receivers. And and the Ravens have faced some of those uh, to start so far. But a lot of it has just been zone breakdowns, particularly Larry Fitzgerald, who's not the fastest guy in the league anymore. Uh, you know, being able to find open space on some extended plays by Murray that uh, that beat them in that second week. So level concern, maybe a three from that. Then the Ravens go to, to Kansas City and they got beaten for a lot of big plays, including getting beaten over the top by McCole Hardman for an 83 yard pass. And 
you know, looking at that game and looking back and analyzing it, I think the 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 uh, Chiefs did the Ravens a favor every time they put two tight ends on the field because basically it took a wide receiver off the field. That was a choice, one extra wide receiver, one extra tight end. And when they went with three wide receivers, the, the Ravens just had no answer for it. They don't they don't have a good slot corner. Uh, well, sorry, they don't have two good corners to play one slot and one outside. Uh, Derek Carr, who's sorry, Brandon Carr, who's still pretty good, uh, can play either at least in an OK level outside, I think probably better. Uh, but their but their other outside options are not particularly good with Jimmy Smith and, and Tavon down. So, uh, you know, they've, they've given up some big plays. My, my concern, even though it's Mahomes, would probably be about a seven in terms of their inability to, to you know, prevent big plays in that game. I certainly think the Browns will, will pick apart film from the last two weeks. They will probably pick apart film from their Week 17 game. You know, I remember breaking down that Week 17 and that infamous little flip play that caught a lot of people's eye was a manifestation of, of a play three or four weeks earlier in the Ravens season that, that uh, Phillip Rivers and the Chargers ran when they were out on the West Coast against Baltimore. And uh, just one little leaky pressure caused that play uh, to, to fold, but they had the exact same slot seam wide open, and the Browns went back to it. So uh, I would expect the Browns to scurry through, uh, look as much Kansas City, as much Arizona tape as possible, and try to find some of those same holes. And I'm fascinated with how that's going to play out because Baker's had relative success against Baltimore, but this is a new year, and this is a new version of this Browns offense, and it seems as though everybody's had a really good feel for how to scheme him. He's had troubles against cover two. Uh, he's not playing well. It's his worst graded coverage that he has uh, thrown against. Teams have done a nice job of hiding that coverage from him and uh, sort of manipulating what his eyes are seeing pre to post snap. And he has not worked well from cover, or sorry, from his first read to his second read. He has not found much success. So I do expect the Ravens to take some of that, try to hide. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of hide some players in the hole and then rotate people late. And some of those things that are giving Baker trouble, I would continue to do so until he proves to you he can handle it. And I think that's a, that's a big thing the Ravens will focus on. But that's all I got. That's all the time we have. I think this has been as thorough a breakdown from the Brown side, hearing about the Ravens. I really appreciate, uh, you know, appreciate your time, Ken. I, I, would, I would suggest everybody go find your stuff. Tell, tell me, I'm going to give you the, 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 the platform here. Plug everything you have so if the Browns really want to learn about the Ravens. Because this is going to be a fun rivalry. There's a chance this is a good rivalry now uh, for the next 10 years or so. So it's always good to know your foe. Like you talk, I'm going to be on your podcast, and that's your theme is know your foe. It's a great way to do it. I, I'm fascinated with what Baltimore is doing because they're really one of the more fun teams in the league right now and present a unique challenge. So, yeah, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's cut filmstudyravens.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at filmstudyravens, so nice and consistent there. You have podcasts out there that you can listen if you like to. If you want articles and just want to read about the Ravens offensive line or the defense, I, I cover really all three levels there. Lots of interesting information on, on various things similar to what I'm presenting here. Um, most very micro and from a Ravens perspective, as I'm sure a lot of your writing is too. I mean, you talk about the other players, but we act, I think, more often too much that it's that it's our own players who are determining all the outcomes and not the opponents but you know we do realize of course that that you know playing different opponents matters and i agree with you this browns this browns ravens rivalry should be the big one in the division for years to come absolutely absolutely i think i think the ties between the two teams will make it fun and then uh you know the big tie obviously and 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 
the history of the Browns leaving and all that. It all makes it great. I think it could be a ton of fun, and hopefully, like you said, and I said, it comes to fruition, and we, we do these for a long time. So, Ken, thanks again for joining me, buddy. I appreciate you giving me some time. And uh, if you want to hear me, I'll be on Ken's podcast, um, and I'll, I'll retweet that when he puts that up, too, and we'll, we'll uh, have some good back and forth on that. So, again, Ken, thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me, Jake. Absolutely. Guys, you can find all of our content at BlueWire.com. You can find all of it. You can find any and all of these uh, takes all the way back through the season. You can get mad at me about how I thought in the preseason, whatever, whatever. Just listen. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate everything you're doing for the podcast. Subscribe like you have been and, uh, and keep pushing us forward. We're doing a great thing here at Browns Film Breakdown bringing on great guests like Ken. We're going to keep bringing on great guests. We're going to keep doing the Sunday night ramble sessions I do where I'm talking you through the game. Hopefully you're enjoying those. Your feedback is always welcome. Follow us on Twitter. Like I said, subscribe on iTunes. I appreciate you guys. We will be back after Sunday's 1 o'clock kick. Hopefully have it out to you Sunday night so you can listen to that before you Maybe you're maybe you're happy after the game, drinking some beers, or maybe you're crying yourself to sleep because it's a 1-3 start. We'll see. Uh, yeah, until then, guys, go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.